I'm Romano Georgi. Welcome to the Much Better You 3 in 15 podcast. This podcast packs three life-bettering, easy-to-grasp principles into weekly 15-minute episodes. These life hacks are designed to improve your mental, social, and financial health and wealth. Give the next 15 your full and undivided attention, for the much better you is waiting. Danger, Will Robinson. Hi, guys. Welcome to episode two of the Much Better You 3 in 15 podcast. I very much hope that you are keeping really well that you enjoyed last week's offering and that, like me, you're keen to get stuck into episode two. Much less preamble this week, I'm afraid, preamble fans. My God, that's the approach I wanted. What the hell took you so long? But I will say that today's 3 and 15 were building what I said previously about the need for each of us to take responsibility for our outcomes. I will talk about the need for self-respect, a positive outlook, and then I'll finish by talking about challenging past conditioning all fixed mindsets to achieve better outcomes and life goals. Please note that today's final principle in the form of a passive income example is designed to demonstrate what is possible if, as was the case with me, the average person shakes up their status quo when it comes to their financial outlook. I'll talk about this later, but none of the financial examples or strategies that I describe in this podcast will be given to you as financial advice. And finalement, that's French, this. when I told him that I was going to start cycling to work in London, a wise friend once told me, Romano, when commuting on your bike, never be in a rush or else you are sure to come unstuck. Well, the same applies to you in this podcast, although hopefully you're not going to break a leg or, or get hit by a bus or anything. <laughs> but even though every week is going to be packed with potentially life-changing principles, don't try to do everything at once, like some kind of crash diet or something. Instead, take your time to learn, reflect, and then apply in a steady and sustainable manner what you believe will work for you. You can always rewind or review these podcast episodes anytime you wish. I'll be here waiting. Okay, mini preamble over. Unless you are busy in a chemistry lab decanting potassium cyanide into a conical flask that's just a little too close to your herbal teacup for comfort, sit back, relax, and plug in. This will feel a little weird. Welcome to the Much Better You 3 in 15 podcast. Beautiful, beautiful. Episode 2, Principle 1. Keep your promises. How often do you make promises to yourself that you'll do something positive in your life? I don't know, perhaps you promise yourself that tomorrow morning you're going to get up super early and go for a jog, or that you'll begin a more balanced, healthy diet in the new year, or that you're going to manage your time better at work so that you can spend more time at home in the evenings with your loved ones. And how often are these promises, as well-intentioned as they may have been originally, empty and not acted upon? Or how often do you make promises to others that deep down you know that you have no intention of fulfilling? 
a deadline at work perhaps, or a pseudo open-ended coffee date with a friend that was only mentioned because you bumped into them randomly in the street and it was socially less awkward to feign interest in seeing them again than it was to be authentic. Well, all of the above has applied to me and then some over the years. So apologies to any pseudo coffee date friends that may be listening. But anyway, I am certain that such streams of broken promises to both yourself and others are something that all of you will have dabbled in also. In the words of that annoying bloke in Groundhog Day, Ned Ryerson, Am I right or am I right or am I right? Right, right, right. In his book, which I mentioned last week, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey describes how we each have a circle of concern over which we have little or no control over the things in our life that fall within this circle. But we also have a second circle known as the circle of influence that encapsulates all the things in life that we do have direct control over. Generally speaking, the circle of influence is smaller than and fits within the larger circle of concern. Now, If, like me, you prefer to visualise what I'm saying, please go to the muchbetteryou.com website where I've posted some visual illustrations of these circles of concern and influence. In a nutshell, proactive people focus their efforts in the circle of influence, i.e. they work on the things they can do something about. As they positively develop these things, their circle of influence increases, thus shrinking somewhat the circle of concern. Reactive people, however, focus their efforts in the circle of concern. Their focus is on circumstances over which they have no control. Their focus results in blaming attitudes and increased feelings of victimization. This negative energy causes their circle of influence to shrink. How does this link to keeping your promises, you may ask? Well, as I said in episode one, by choosing how we respond to circumstances we may subsequently affect our circumstances. And as pointed out by Covey, there are so many ways to work in the circle of influence. For instance, to be a better listener. And trust me, there are very few people that actually listen. To be a more loving partner. To be a better student. And we can even choose to be happy. Yes, happiness is a proactive choice, especially if we accept those things that at present we can't control, while we focus our efforts on the things we can control. But at the very heart of our circle of influence is our ability to make and keep commitments and promises. The commitments we make to ourselves and others and our integrity to those commitments are the essence of our proactivity and the essence of our growth. By making promises and being true to them, we build the strength of character that makes every other positive thing in our lives possible. Don't believe me? How do you feel deep down inside when you make a promise to yourself or others that really you know you have no intention of honouring? I suspect, as is the case with me, a little bit of you dies inside because you have lost the trust of others and more importantly... You've lost the trust and respect of yourself. To finish in Covey's own words, and I'm going to read this. As we make and keep commitments, even small commitments, we begin to establish an inner integrity that gives us the awareness of self-control and the courage and strength to accept more of the responsibility for our own lives. 
By making and keeping promises to ourselves and others, little by little, our honour becomes greater than our moods. Keep your promises. Episode 2, Principle 2. Watch yourself talk. Now this one is more of a personal observation. And yes, I'm going to begin with some questions. How many times have you made what you perceive to be a stupid mistake and then you beat yourself up about it afterwards? You've probably called yourself an effing idiot or worse. After spilling your macchiato frothy marshmallow caramel latte frothaccino coffee over your lap or perhaps after saying something that you then regretted. Perhaps you will also physically reinforce this by shaking your head to yourself. Worse still, you may go on to have a really crappy day, or if we're going to go full out, you then make the lives of others around you a bit more crappy too. Let me give you an example. I play soccer, or what the rest of the world calls football, Hello. Hello. a couple of times a week. And I've lost count of the number of times that I've seen other players make a mistake. For instance, they miss a penalty and then they spend the rest of the game on a downer. They start to play worse. They become shouty, irritable and most annoyingly, their negativity puts a massive drain on the rest of their team's performance. Negativity is contagious, especially outward negativity. Perhaps you work in an office where the dynamic would otherwise be amazing were it not for one negative colleague that literally spoils it for everyone else because they bring out the negativity in others too. Misery loves company. Watch your negative self-talk and physical signalling and try to catch yourself before it slips out and impacts on you and those around you. I'm still working on this bad boy myself. A few weeks ago, for instance, I left my phone in the car and cursed myself for having to go back out of the house and into the street again to retrieve it. Big deal. One strategy I've adopted since then that works for me is the following. I either catch myself mid-negative outburst or immediately afterwards, and I cancel it out by doing the exact same thing again, but from a position of positivity. So if I say, FFS, what a bloody loser leaving the phone in the car... I will immediately respond with something like, so what, big deal, I'm a caring and generous person. This kind of thing, if applied with genuine self-respect, can serve to not only neutralise the negative deficit, but it may also switch you up a gear into a more positive mood. And say it loud too, so you can hear the glowing self-affirmation. Granted, you may get some funny looks if you're out and about, but who gives a sh- what other people think when your happiness or positive mindset is at stake. And as per numerous self-help books out there, frame your thoughts in positive words and language. For instance, and instead of but. I went to the shop, but I forgot to buy the bread, detracts from the fact that you may well have bought loads of other things you needed. However, I went to the shop and I forgot to buy the bread is framed better. By using and, you make it more likely that you will come up with a solution, i.e. there's more to come, whereas but is more final and negative. There are loads of other such word reframing examples. Try swapping should to could, as could gives you more control of the situation versus should, which implies that someone else is making you do it. And please steer your self-talk away from final outcome words such as always or never ever, because this implies that you are without choice or flexibility, or options. How many times have you said, that's just like me to always forget the bread? Well, A, this is probably not true, and B, oh, shut up. Watch your language and self-talk.
And whilst I'm on the subject, a controversial one, I'm afraid, <gasps> never make a habit of apologising to others unless you've genuinely wronged them in a significant and unreasonable way that requires you to take responsibility for yourself and unless you genuinely mean it. While this kind of humility and self-deprecation is a very British thing that seems deeply embedded in our culture, it is nonetheless a sign of weakness as it puts you in negative deficit because you are telling others, and more importantly yourself, that you have done a noteworthy wrong and so may be untrustworthy time and time again. Catch your negative self-talk before it consumes you and others. Practice your positive self-talk to put yourself in a healthier, happier and more productive mindset and never apologise unless you have acted like a proper and unless you mean it, as to do so makes you come across as a weak people pleaser and so you may lose the respect of others. Watch your self-talk. Episode 2, Principle 3. Challenge your status quo. Whether you like it or not, we are all preconditioned to think or act in particular ways. Early on, perhaps it's our parents, siblings, schools, or later on our peer groups or social circles that will influence us. Or perhaps there were some life events, either in or outside of our control, that cause us to think or react in particular ways to particular triggers. This means, rarely at best, are our thoughts or actions truly objective? And so, more often than not, these will rarely be the best options out there for us. Now, my dad lived his earliest years during World War II. His village in Italy was occupied by the Nazis and his family literally had to survive on a day-to-day -day basis because they just didn't know what was waiting for them around the corner. Food was scarce, crops were uncertain and people were being executed. The situation was very frightening, to say the least, for my dad growing up. So this may well explain why my dad would never leave any scraps of food on his plate, no matter how much he'd eaten, or why he always taught me to save for a rainy day. This was extremely prudent advice, particularly for his generation at that extreme time. I can't even begin to imagine the stresses that my dad and his family endured during World War II, and I must say now with what I'm about to say next, that I'm not for one second belittling the significance of my dad's life experiences. We now live in a time, however, at least in the United Kingdom, fingers crossed, that food is more abundant, more accessible, and I'm far less likely to be shot up in a war zone. So, as well-intentioned as this inevitable conditioning was, it may now not be as helpful to me at this particular time as it was for my dad then. Now, let me change the angle here again with a couple of questions. Do you think debt is more often than not a bad thing? Is one of your top priorities to pay off the mortgage on your home as soon as you can? I'll repeat. Do you think debt is more often than not a bad thing? Is one of your top priorities to pay off the mortgage on your home as soon as you can? If the answer to both of those questions is yes... The chances are you are not an entrepreneur and you will likely not become time or financially free. If you consider this statement controversial, good. I want to challenge your thinking here. Now, unless you're already on the cusp of retirement and a pension, what will happen when you pay off your mortgage? You will certainly have more cash flow coming in, that's for sure. You will still need to earn money, though, to put food on the table, to put petrol in your car, 
You will still want to go on holidays or put your kids through university or pay the currently crazy gas and electric bills, etc, etc. So you will still need to have a cash flow coming in. So as is the case for most people that don't have other assets generating cash flow for them, the chances are you will still need to keep working as part of the rat race. This is why Warren Buffett famously stated, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you'll work till you die. Yes, very poetic, but also very true. So let me explain with my final blast of the day why debt can be good if someone wants to retire early and not after all your best years are behind you. I choose this particular example because I've lost count as to the number of times that this discussion has come up with friends, family or colleagues. Now, before I plunge in, let me introduce the concept of passive income, as this will be a recurring theme in many of the financial examples that I shall give in future episodes. Passive income essentially means that you will have a cash flow or regular income coming in without the need to physically work for it like you would a nine to five job. This means that you will not need to trade time for money unless you choose to. There are numerous passive income streams out there where essentially you will have assets gaining value or creating dividends for you, such as stocks and shares investments, royalties from books or music, YouTube channel streams or rental properties to name but a few. Essentially, once you've done the initial groundwork, these assets can in many cases earn you money without the need for further input or time investment. Now, imagine you have £100,000 in savings and you want to make that money work hard for you. What strategy or strategies would you consider? Would you leave it sitting in a bank where interest rates are currently considerably lower than the rate of inflation, which in the UK at the time of recording is approximately 9%? If you did that, technically you would be losing money because let's say in five years time, 100k plus crappy interest will be worth far less in the real world than 100k is worth now. This leaves us with investment strategies and today I'd like to touch on rental property investment and financial leverage. Now, there are numerous property investment courses out there. I know this because I've attended most of them, in the United Kingdom, I mean, and I've spent many thousands of pounds on these. This means that I can share some basic strategies with you. And best of all, you don't need to spend a single penny. Oh, don't mention it. (laughs) So we have 100K sitting around and we want to invest in property. Now, the following example is for illustrative purposes only. With respect to my friends living in the north of the United Kingdom, 100k may not go very far down south, London or Brighton, for instance, when it comes to property. So I may look to buy property, let's say in Liverpool for argument's sake, which for our international listeners is about 200 miles northwest of London. Now, I can buy a house outright in Liverpool for 100k and then I can rent it out for, let's say, £500 per month. Or I can buy four 100k houses in Liverpool on 75% buy-to-let mortgages. So basically, I'm only putting 25k or a 25% deposit into each property. And by the way, each property is making £500 per month rent, therefore totalling £2,000 per month. Now, once you subtract monthly running costs, including, of course, the mortgage payments, you may be left with about £1,000 per month total cash flow, maybe a bit more or maybe a bit less, depending on several factors. 
Now, these assets are not only paying for themselves, but combined, they are also generating £1,000 per month cash flow. So tell me, what multiple of that figure, £1,000 per month, would you require to maybe go part-time at work, or better still, have the option of leaving work altogether if you want to? Three times a thousand? Five times a thousand? But anyway, a thousand pounds per month. Now, currently, you'll be doing well if your bank will pay you that much interest on your 100k after 10 months, let alone one month, which means this simple property strategy sees your money working approximately 10 times harder than it would do in the bank. And let's not forget, in the United Kingdom, as I record this in 2022, properties are generally seeing capital growth. This means that your rent earning houses or cash flowing assets will generally be increasing in value. As T. Harvecker once said in his groundbreaking book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, don't wait to buy property, buy property and wait. What if I don't have 100k in savings, you may ask? Well, I say you can either begin raising the money by selling that unnecessary liability, a second car, for example, or by cutting back on the things that you don't need in order to save that bit more money every day, week or month. Or perhaps, as per my controversial statement earlier, you can remortgage your home to draw out the funds. Or maybe it may be wiser to start smaller and look to raise maybe 25k initially to buy your first cash flowing rental asset. Now, I am not telling you to go out there and buy up property. Did I mention that I never give advice? The only advice I will ever give you is do not give advice. But instead, one should ask alternative, thought-provoking questions. But anyway, my non-advice to you is that you should keep listening to podcasts such as The Much Better You to get yourself learned up in all the ways of passive income so that you can achieve your financial freedom as soon as you can. For to do so will let you live life on your own terms. By the way, even though this kind of property leverage strategy works for me personally, everyone's circumstances are different. And so if you're going to consider such a strategy as I just described, please promise me that you will do the following. A, you did your own due diligence research, which should include exploring various free online training resources, such as YouTube channels or property and financial investment podcasts. B, if after all that you are still serious about such property strategies, you invest in some formal property investment training courses. And by the way, if any of these courses promise you a get-rich-quick outcome, steer well clear, but instead search out credible courses. Now, because such courses cost money, I am not going to recommend any. Just make sure that any training you pay for is legitimate and regulated. And finally, you do not carry out any of these strategies without first consulting with an independent financial and or tax advisor that specialises in property investment. Oh my gosh, I started off this principle talking about Nazis and now I'm boring myself to death talking about tax advisors. I merely want to impress upon you that there are numerous options out there that you should at least be aware of to inform your bigger financial decisions. Challenge your status quo and do not accept the apparent hand that you have been dealt unless it is royal flush. So congratulations. You have made it to the end of episode two of the Much Better You podcast, in which I covered three principles in <coughs> 15 minutes. These principles being keep your promises, watch yourself talk and challenge your status quo. Please subscribe to this podcast and check my website, themuchbetteryou.com.
where you can leave me non-abusive and constructive feedback, please. And feel free to also suggest topics for forthcoming episodes. But please note that the first five episodes are pre-recorded. And of course, on the website, you will find all the other cool stuff too, including episode downloads, episode written transcripts, reference material, links to the music I use, chat forums, plus loads of other free bonus material. And of course, because I'm so cool and hip, please check out my social media stuff using the handle 3 in 15 podcast. And finally, finally, I'm about to share with you this week's closing statement that I would like you to mull over and then respond to on the Much Better You website or the 3 in 15 podcast Facebook group so that we can get some cool discussions going that I will cross-examine in future podcast episodes. I really, really, really want this podcast to be as interactive as possible. Plus, I want you to challenge my status quo. Anyway, today's statement is... Every time that I create a gap in the stream of my chattering mind, the light of my consciousness grows stronger. I repeat, every time that I create a gap in the stream of my chattering mind, the light of my consciousness grows stronger. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week and I'll see you at the next one.